All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. We're in partnership with Black and Gold Hockey Productions. You're here with uh, today, co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how you doing today? Doing great, Andrew, and welcome back. Andrew just came back from his 26th birthday, yes. celebrating with all his buddies out in Vegas. Yep. Did you get to Circa and see um, uh, Banks? I didn't see Darren Banks again. He was out of town, but he was there the day before I got there. But we got to see him last year. It was fun. So, right. uh, But, Dad, we got an awesome guest today. Speaking of Darren Banks, we do have another former Bruin on the show today. And uh, so today we're excited to have with us today Matt Lashoff. So Matt began playing uh, for his high school prep team and then in 2002 joined the U.S. national team to develop for the year and then eventually went on to be drafted in the OHL by the Kitchener Rangers in 2003. Matt played the three full years in the OHL and during that time went on to be drafted by the Boston Bruins in the first round of the 2005 NHL draft. The hard-nosed defenseman went on to play his first pro games with Providence Bruins in the AHL and then began his pro hockey journey from there. His full-time pro hockey work started in 2006 and played between the Boston Bruins Club and Providence from 2006 to 2009 before being traded to the Tampa Bay Lightning eventually. After moving to the Sunshine State, Matt played with the organization for parts of two years before spending his final year in North America with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization until 2012. From there, Matt took his talents overseas until 2015 and later returned to North America finishing his career playing between the AHL and occasionally going back overseas until 2017 which is when I believe Matt decided to hang up the skates. I know that sounds like an elite prospect, yeah, so your yeah. mother made that uh, intro for you, Matt. But without further ado, we'll welcome Matt Lashoff today. How you doing, my man? Doing good, guys. Yeah, that is a uh, that is the definition of a suitcase right there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, let's start from the beginning, man. Obviously, you know, like we just mentioned, you played for your high school before joining the U-17 U.S. national team as well. Um, talk to us a bit about what it was like to represent your country at such a young age and how it helped you prep uh, to join the OHL after you were drafted. Yeah, it was an interesting case. I mean, you know, I was part of a group of kids that that around that time were getting were getting um, recruited to colleges really, really young. So I actually ended up kind of even backstory on that further. I committed to Boston University when I was like 13 years old. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's just, yeah, the sound mind of a 13, 14 year old, right, at that point. So um, that kind of was the trajectory. And, and I love my time at Avon. Um, it was a fan, it's a fantastic school. I mean, the people there were great. We had a really good team there as well. We had a couple of guys who ended up playing. Jonathan Quick was there, kid Sean Backman was there as well, played pro um, for a while. Um, so we had a really good group and all those kids I had grown up with playing kind of youth hockey wise and, and really the gold standard at that point was to go to the to the US program right like that was kind of the, the thing everybody wanted to do at that at that age level because it was really the kind of the best of the best and it was an amazing experience I mean I think it really taught you to be a pro probably earlier than you probably could have there and then you're obviously getting um, you know, you're getting access into the, the, you know, the international competition and kind of representing the country, which is amazing. But I think that one of the cooler parts about it for me was, is that you were playing the way that the, te the, the team is kind of built out. And I think they're still doing it now. It was a little different at the time because they had the North American Hockey League and the USHL were a little bit separated, but, you know, we were playing kids, you know, who were arguably you know three four years older than us at the time right and then you're playing some college teams and then you're going to school full-time and you're learning how to train the correct way so it was really a gauntlet of um 
you know, information and kind of learning how to be a, pro, a player very, very earlier in the seriousness that you needed to take it. So it was a, it was an awesome experience. You know, the program has done amazing things and obviously put a lot of guys through, you know, professional ranks and high end college ranks and whatnot. But I think, you know, when you look back at those times, you they, they really do create, you know, good people and and, you know, really create a foundation for you to move forward playing wise, too, which is great. So then what led to uh, your decision to do competitive junior hockey over uh, Boston University? Yeah, that was a tough one. <laughs> that was a tough one. That was probably the toughest decision that I had made, um, maybe even to date. You know, I mean, like I had an amazing coach that was there in Jack Parker at BU. Um, I had developed a relationship with him there. David Quinn was actually our coach at the U.S. program at the time, too. And he ended up kind of moving on to be the assistant Um at uh, Boston University. And for me, I didn't have a great year at, at the US program. Like it was a bit of an up and down year for me. Um, and I felt that, you know, my style of game at the time was going to be, if I was going to try to do what I wanted to do, I needed to have a breakout year and kind of bet on myself, so to speak. Right. And, you know, it was a really difficult decision. And, and Bobby Orr was my agent at the time. Um, and I, I, I respect Bobby, obviously, to the end of time. But I mean, this really proved to me even further so how great of a human being he was. I mean, I'm 15 16 years old at the time trying to make a decision from a you know a family in my background my parents never went to you know four-year school you know you got an opportunity to go to free free college at one of the best universities in the in the world um and you're looking at the you know the opposite spectrum of that is, is let's go be a quote-unquote professional hockey player at 17 with nothing you know, kind of in the future around that so I, I talked to Bobby every day for for weeks on end about this and and ultimately felt that the decision to go to to, to Kitchener, I was actually drafted by the Sioux. Um, and then my rights were traded, you know, while I was uh, while I was at the U.S. program, because a bunch of stuff ended up happening um, there. So once I got traded to Kitchener. Um, I hadn't really thought about it at that time, but once that happened, I went up and, and watched a game. They were playing uh, the Plymouth Whalers in the, in the Western Conference Finals in the in the Ontario League at the time, and it was like, I mean, they had I think fifteen guys between both teams that played in the NHL, like very very high end players. The arena was packed. I was like, this is this is what I want to do, and it ultimately ended up being a you know a great decision for me. I, I kind of had a breakout year that first year in Kitchener, and then was able to kind of you know, wrangle myself back up to where I felt I should have been. Um, and then that kind of catapulted into, into the pro style stuff and, and, and the opportunity to get drafted and, and go from there. But it was definitely a tough decision. Was there a tough transition for you uh, from, I mean, you're playing highly competitive U.S. hockey, obviously, uh, but then you go into the OHL. It's a little bit of different beast. I'm sure billet family situations, trying to do all those things. Was it a tough transition or was it easy for you? You know, it, the toughest transition for me, I think, was was probably Avon to to the U.S. program, right? I mean, because at Avon, I was still somewhat close to home. I was really young. I mean, I was I was 14 years old leaving home, right? So it was uh, that. It, being able to go home on the weekends at Avon wasn't too, too bad, but then going to the U S program, that was a difficult transition, right? It's your first time away from home at 15, you know, in 15, 16, um, you know, so it, it was that part of that part was difficult. Going to Kitchener was kind of a light bulb moment for me, right? Like I was in a situation where I was like, all right, like you're, you're jumping into the deep end here. Like it's put up or shut up. Right. And I think, 
you know, the fear for an American kid going up there at the time, I was, I think I was one of the first guys that basically built in your, into your quote unquote contract that, you know, if I, if I shit the bed, so to speak, and this doesn't work out, I can always fall back and they're going to pay for your schooling that would have been there elsewhere, otherwise, right? Um, which was a very innovative thing to do at the, at the time, right? Um, now there's a whole bunch of clauses and pitfalls in that that nobody really wants to talk about, but it's, uh, which is which has kind of come to, to fruition as of now. But going to Kitchener was a great it was a great moment for me, like and, and Peter DeBoer and Steve Spot were the coaches there and they, they put a lot of trust in me that they made me feel at home. They made me I, I felt like I could finally kind of be the player that I thought that I could be. And 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 they were, you know, heavily in molding some of those other pieces um, there. But I, I, I don't find I didn't find the transition from from the U.S. program to Kitchener was that difficult um, as far as like a lifestyle. It's, it's a different style of hockey, but I think to me, it lended itself a little bit better to the way that I was was playing. And I think I got lucky too, just with regards to the group that was there. We had some really good other players. I mean, like, you know, Mike Richards was there, David Clarkson. Um, you know, we had a, a kid, Andre Benoit, was a defenseman, was a really older guy, who was great. Um, you know, Jakob Kindle was there, Boris Valabek, Mark Fraser. Like we had a really good group of guys that were there that I kind of felt seamlessly fit in right away, which was good. So if if I read this correctly, um, you're finishing in, in Kitchener, and then you actually get a, a taste of the American League where you uh, play some games with Providence as you finish with Kitchener. What was that sudden transition like? I mean, now it's junior hockey, but now it's grown men, families to provide for. I mean, this is real yeah. stuff. Was that a hard transition? Yeah, it, it yes and no. Like the I, I think that um that piece of it to be able to play at the end of the year, especially in Providence at the time, like the, the Bruins were in a very tumultuous situation, right? I mean, it was at the time where you know the team was turning over, new people were coming in. And because of that, there was a lot of young players all kind of at the same age level that were coming into the team at the same time, right? So, and there was a really good core of older veteran American Hockey League guys that were there, right? So the, the transition was, was difficult as far as, okay, kind of to your point, like, you know, this is, this is another level of hockey. The intensity levels there, the Bruins, we were pretty good that year too, so they were you know, making a push into the playoffs um, at that time. So that's a different kind of level of competition at that point in the American Hockey League. And, and I've always said, like, you know, when you go to the, to the finals in the American League, like that's pretty much like NHL regular season hockey, right? Like, I mean, you're, you're about as close as you possibly can get with that. Um, so the hockey level was was definitely, you know, ramping up. But I think from a from a holistic perspective, you know, the transition wasn't all that difficult because we had so many good young guys that we could rely on and lean on. I mean, like Mark Stewart was there, Christopher Stieg, you know, we had some really good guys that we all got, we kind of bound together with. Um, and Jay Leach, who was amazing, was the captain of the team at that time. And I actually known Jay since I was a kid. He's from my right outside my hometown. So that helped a lot, too, because he'd been bullying me around since I was about <laughs> seven. So <laughs> that was easy. Um, but it was good. I mean, I think the intensity level and the seriousness is obviously just another ratchet level up. Right. I mean, it's a different mindset from uh, from junior hockey, for sure. I mean, to your point. You know, I'll never forget Don Sweeney he pulled me in the office the first couple of years and he's like, 
you know, basically to your point, right? He's like, he goes, you know, why do you, why do you think you're going to win a battle here in the corner? So I'll, you know, I'm fast and tough and, you know, I goes, I want it more, right? He goes, well, the difference between you going into that corner and, and let's say this other guy going in there in the corner is that if he doesn't come out with the puck, that's food he's costing his kids on the table for, right? So I was like, all right, that's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty yeah. good analogy there, my friend. <laughs> so very cool kind of perspective shift early on for sure. So I don't want to get sidetracked, but I can't let, you know, since we have so many Boston listeners, you know, I mean, you know, you just mentioned the name Bob Yor, they'll be like, why did you ask a question? So I want to tie this into sort of the business, hockey business of with Boar, but with your career. So what is it like? I mean, you're obviously you get drafted in the first round. We'll go over that in a minute. But OHL outstanding you're starting to play get your feet wet in the american league before you drafted you got bobby or or whoever is your agent what's the type of pressure on you what's the relationship with the agent at this point is is he or she pulling for you know calling the gm saying hey don't forget our boy and the draft coming up what what give us sort of what goes on behind the scenes when you've got a high prospect like you uh with an agent we have no idea we've never asked this question yeah so you're talking kind of like before the draft happens type of deal yeah 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 like I you, mean, you're, you're finishing in kitchener right i mean yeah. is your agent like don't suck this is the most important <laughs> time of your life or yeah. you know is it not mentioned no you know what the, one of the reasons that i that i end up ended up going with bobby at the time was was kind of correlated to this question right i mean he the way he carries himself, obviously, you kind of there's this cachet with his hockey career and what he's been able to accomplish both on the ice and off the ice, and the, the, the kind of embattlement, you know, with Eagleson and all these things, kind of the, the, the that character piece that was there that you kind of felt, um, you know, you knew that he was going to have your back and your best interest, right? And I think taking away how great all those things are that he was able to accomplish on the ice he is a far better individual than than all of those accolades put together right like there's just something very honest and very true about his nature um which gives you a big sense of comfortability around kind of how things are going to progress and and to your question he was a very um or is he is a very kind of uh not necessarily standoffish, but it's, Hey, th you do your thing, right? Like there's not a lot of touch basing and, you know, unless you need it, he's very kind of aware of, you know, certain guys need certain things. Right. And I was never a guy that was, you know, calling agents every week and trying to figure out like bitching and moaning about a weekend or playing time and all that stuff. But that was also kind of the culture that I had grown up in within the game. Right. That wasn't really a, you know, it was kind of a badge of honor to not call your agent kind of deal, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then as as it gets closer to the draft, like they're usually pretty standoffish within the season unless there's some things that are needed or there's some scenarios that are happening. But, you know, as the draft gets a little bit closer, you know, you are kind of talking and, and, and they're coordinating kind of how the, you know, because you have the combine, right, where everybody kind of goes up and does the, the you know, the pre-draft meetings with all these extra teams. And then there's also some supplementary things that teams do as well. So they'll fly in a couple players and, you know, have them go do an extra meeting or an extra workout and all that kind of stuff. So they're very good at coordinating that. And that's where you start getting into the weeds a little bit more upon, you know, what teams are thinking and where they think would be a good fit and where they think you're going to land in and around. And, 
you know, I had a pretty good feeling that I was going to end in the, end up in the first round. And, and frankly, I thought that I was going to end up with the Devils at the time. I had, a, a, you know, three or four meetings with them. They chose right after the Bruins. Um, and there's a funny story about that, which I'll tell later. But, um, you know, they're they're very good at if you have a good agent, they're very good at kind of tempering a lot of these expectations as much as they're working for you. I feel like the job of an agent is, is they're, they're glorified psychologists. Um, you know, they're really trying to make sure that you're not losing your shit and that things are kind of, you know, on point. And then when you get into your career, they're trying to figure out kind of best scenarios for you to be at. And obviously kind of those contract metrics that come in. But, you know, with regards to the business end of it early on, there's, you know, there's only so much that they can do. I'm sure there's some finagling behind the scenes and, and you know, kind of talking about a lot of it is character based at that point, right? Like they've seen us almost too much at that point, right? So they're really a lot of the scouts and now, you know, a bunch of my friends and management and stuff now. I mean, the amount of calls you get more on a guy's character um, farly outweigh what you think about what they are as a player, too. So there's a lot of that stuff going on as well. So obviously, my dad mentioned you got drafted in the first round, which we have we haven't had too, too many people that have been drafted in the first round on the show before. Um First of all, we like to ask, what is your draft story? Obviously, you were there. I don't even know where the draft was held in 2005, but you were there. I still think that was during uh, your Kitchener Rangers times. I think it was that, that was before the before you played for Providence. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about um, you had meetings with other teams other than the Devils as well. Was there another team? Like, does anybody ever tell you? Like, was there another team that would say, hey, we, we are or we plan on drafting you? Did the Bruins have a conversation with you? Did you have an idea the Bruins wanted to sign you? I mean, Bobby Orr was your agent, right? So is there any correlation there or anything like that? Yeah, the, you know, the, the draft was very interesting that year. And I had the, the the amazing fortune of nailing two lockouts in the course of a 13-year career, which is always <laughs> yeah. humanly possible, right? So the, the, the first entry into that was actually out of the lockout, right? Um, so our, my draft was much different than than most, right? So we had um our draft held in ottawa but it was a scaled down version of the draft time so they only brought i think it was 20 it might have been 30 guys like it might have been like on the nose the amount of picks for the first round or whatnot right um so you had a pretty good idea that you were going to go in the in the first round when they they asked you to come to the draft and and Strangely enough, there were a couple guys who ended up not going in that first round and had to wait, you know, the extra day and were up there. Um, but it was weird, right? Because it was it was Crosby's draft, so there was a lot of hip hoopla around that whole situation. It was not in the arena; it was held in a conference room in a hotel um, there. So it was just it was a very strange dynamic, very very nerve wracking. I for sure. I mean, for myself. I, I had known, I mean, you always think you know where things are going to kind of land, but you really don't, right? Like it really is up in the air. Outside of Sid, you know, everyone else is kind of pooping themselves going like, I have really no clue where this could go. Even your second two, two, three, four guys, right? Like there's there's conversations to be had, but you never know what's going to happen and trades and things that happen kind of that night before. And that whole weekend is a very big kind of management, you know, kumbaya where a lot of stuff happens, right? So um, you know, I had a really good feeling that I was going to end up going to the Devils or the Rangers at the time. And what ended up having, what ended up screwing things up is that Mark Stahl, who was supposed to go kind of top 10 at the time, ended up dropping to what I think was 15, where the Rangers were. And it kind of threw all of these D men that were in the draft kind of all over the place. Right. So I ended up going 
so I was kind of in that rating from basically like 15 to, you know, 30, basically right at the end of the first round. And I think even a couple of people had me in the second round or whatever. It, at that time, you try not to look at that shit because you can like legit drive yourself crazy. Right. Uh, and it's at the time where you're not playing. Right. So like you, all you're doing is like working out and going back and like looking at this and where am I going to go and what's going to happen and who do I know and all this stuff. Um but if the funny story about the Bruins and, you know, I had had a, I had actually had a very, very intense meeting with them during the combine. Like they were, you know, grilling you about everything and, you know, hot under the sun, like very stern faced group. Like, I'm like, shit, well, that didn't go well. I'm not going to go there. So um, what, does, what does, let me ask you this. Cause I wanted to ask this. I, what does a conversation that act like, I mean, what do they want to know? Like, yeah, uh, a big defenseman, tough, uh, I show up to practice on time. I work really hard. Like, yeah. What, what questions what, they ask? What, what did you do? Well, if they they get into the weeds, man, and they'll they'll and it's a lot like we were talking about earlier, right? It's a lot about personality and a lot about you know how you're going to react to certain situations, right? So you know, a lot they'll they'll come up with questions like, "Hey, in December you were a minus three in this game. Like, what the hell happened?" And you're like, what the? Fuck? Uh, game fifty six. I don't know. Yeah, like I'm, I'm like, I don't even remember like last Tuesday, guys. Like, what are you talking about? Like, so it's a lot of stuff like that. Um, you know, that there's a lot of kind of these catching questions that they'll ask, um, just to see how you're going to react, right? Like, you know, hey, we heard you're a booze bag. You know, like, uh, how do you, you know, what, what's the deal with that? And you're like, well, where the hell did that come from? You know, like, no. Like, and so, and it's, and it's not anything real directed towards any of these questions. It's really to kind of see, all right, how is he going to react? How is he going to deal under a pressure situation and all that kind of stuff? And I think, you know, there's a lot of talk nowadays about agents and these people kind of preparing the guys to go into the draft. And I think I never had that, right. It was like Bobby and, and the group were like, just go be yourself. Right. Because there's, there's no scripted answer that you can give that's going to be better than just being your own person in this stuff. Right. And I think, you know, hockey is archaic and it's in its, uh, you know, embodiment just on how the guys, you know, talk to the media and how like kind of introverted in a sense that they are, but it, it's because of the culture of, of that locker room, right? And I think that we're, we're programmed in a way to be team first and, and not self first, right? And, and just in its nature. And a lot of the questions are stuck to the opposite spectrum of that, right? To see how you are going to handle those situations and to see how you're going to be pressure tested under these certain situations. And you'll have some groups will go in and they'll have like two guys there, three guys there, you know, GM, assistant GM, and maybe the coach or something. Like I remember the Bruins had like 17 people. So you're sitting at the end of this table and it's like every scout, all the GMs, player development, like all these guys and you're kind of like, holy shit. Okay, here we go. So they do, they do get into the weeds pretty big, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's like a deposition, but you don't have an attorney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, it, it, and you know what, like, I think that kind of to that point, right. Like you've got some of these teams, which are, you know, they come in and, and have very casual conversations and it's like, you know, what's, what do you like outside of hockey? Like, are you going to, do you think you're going to get into hockey when you're done playing like stuff like that? Like how much does the guy love the game? Like all that kind of thing. Right. Like, you know, what are you doing on your off days? Like all that kind of stuff. So it, it's, it's an interesting uh, psychological mechanic for sure. So obviously when you turn first year pro, you end up eventually getting the call up to the NHL. The Bruins desperately needed a good puck moving defenseman. So 
kind of a two-part question. You know, we want to go through your experience, you know, first getting into the Bruins locker room, all that. But in today's day, and I know the draft has always been big, but of course the the drafts now are even more hyped and the first round draft picks. And we're seeing um, evidence now with, you know, even Lafreniere a few years ago, you have Shane Wright this year of this pressure of your first round draft pick. And I know not all first rounders immediately go uh, up to the NHL, but it's that pressure of we need to get a return on our investment. And then the kids are not playing. They're playing six, seven minutes at a time. So when you were called up, was there a lot of pressure, especially in a market like Boston to where you have to perform your first round draft pick, you have to save the Bruins, you know? So what was that like first before we get into your first game and that first moment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was definitely a lot of that. And I think, you know, the, the, a lot was going on with the Bruins at that time too, right? I mean, that was right around the time, you know, Joe got traded and they brought in all these guys and there was a massive kind of shift that was happening, which was really kind of put myself in a difficult position. Because if you look at it, you know, even in all three teams that I, well, two of two of the three teams that I went in, you know, the entire organization got overhauled within a year from me being there, right? So a completely new group of people that, for the Bruins that drafted me and that was there. And then in Tampa, same thing. I mean, everything from an ownership change to the whole gamut was gone in that situation. So there's definitely, you felt the pressure, you felt the shift. I mean, Boston is one of the most amazing sports communities there is Um, massively, as you guys know, passionate fan base. I mean, there, which is the best part about playing there. Right. But there's, there is an extra stress test on that and, and being kind of the first round guy especially on defense which was a which was a bit of a you know a gap in, in their in their hole at that point um you know there definitely was some some pressure internally and externally going in i i thankfully i had a little bit of of uh of kessel being taken some of the heat on that because it was his first year too so he was able oh. to take a little bit of that a little bit of that heat um and had, and had a great kind of first year but you know for me it was uh, it was interesting, right? I mean, I think it was it was a frustrating balance, I think, for the team and myself because I had a really good start to the season in Providence. Um, was was having some success down there. Granted, we had a very very good team down there as well. Kind of all the, the guys who were still you know there now were, were at the were at that at the same space in their careers as I was at that time, right? Your Marshawn Krejci, you know, all those guys, right? I mean, Marshy came a little bit later, but Krejci at the same time and Tuka Rask and all these guys were all down there. So we had a good group of good group of guys, but um, having that success going up and then having some success in Boston immediately over those first, you know, six or seven games, it was, it, it really became a balance for the team too, like because we were not playing well. Like the team was not doing well, but I was kind of holding my own and had a good, uh, you know, a good first gauntlet at it, a good first dozen games or ten games or so. And the team had to make a decision upon, like, all right, what do we want to do? Do we want to keep them up here in this, you know, shit show, which is essentially what it was that year, or do we want to send them back down and kind of get that seasoning? And now being older and and a little bit smarter, um, <laughs> you know, like that really was kind of a, that was a tipping point for me, right? Like it, it one, it was a big smack and realization of like, holy shit. Like even, you know, I felt like I was playing really pretty well. Like, you know, you're having good conversations with the coaches, different league at the time then than it is now, as far as the leash on the young guys, for sure. Um, 
but it was it was a difficult thing for me to process that was like the first thing where i was like shit like i'm playing well down here i'm playing well up there right now but this extra thing was the was the the catalyst to push you down and kind of stay down there and figure it out the rest of the year and it was a similar situation the year after right i mean the bruins were in this kind of model where you know which was kind of trajectorying in the right or traversing into the right direction but they wanted a certain type of player right like they wanted you know a mark Stewart at the time, a Brad Stewart at the time. He's kind of simple, hard-nosed defenseman, which I was at the time a little bit more offensive-grained at the at, at the moment, right? A little bit more risk for reward. And you know, if it was today's game, I think things are a little bit different, right? The, the leash is a little bit longer, um, and ultimately, you kind of fall out of favor with with the guys who were there. It's a new group that's in. Claude Julian was was not a, a long leash for a young guy um, individual at that time. Um, well, I don't think ever was <laughs> for that fact. Um, so the, it was it was a tough balance, right? I mean, you're having some success down in the minors. You're having some success in the NHL, but it's in these kind of bite-sized moments. And then it's uh, it, that was probably the most difficult, uh, the difficult, most difficult path of it, right? Is is trying to kind of find your footing, find who you are as a player, fit into the mold of what they want, um, and continuing to find a place to play on a day-to-day basis in that league. So um, a few years later, you move on to Tampa, mm-hmm. you move on to Tampa. Was this more of um, probably what you were just saying or said early when you're dealing with your agent, like finding the best place for, for you? Because that's really what it's all about. It's your career. You've got to make the money. You've got to do what you need to do in your career. What's best for you? Was it that or was it out of the blue? Like, holy shit, I got traded to the Tampa. Um. I definitely sensed it at that time, right? I mean, I think kind of to what we were talking about earlier, right? It was a it was a different vision. It was a different group than what had drafted me. Um, you know, you look at the players who ended up kind of taking that leap over myself at the time, which was, you know, it was it was Mark Stewart, it was Matt Hunwick, it was uh, Johnny Boychuk, right? Like very similar style players in their nature, right? And so you know, at that time, you know, I was up, I think the last year that I was there, I was up the for pretty much the entire year. I had a little bit of a, a sniff in the minors, but I was up, but I wasn't playing, right? Like I was up and I was in practice. I was healthy scratched all the time. And I, I had in Donnie Sweeney became, we became very close because he was the player development guy at the time. So I was talking to him all the time about this stuff and Hey, what else do I got to do? And, you know, and whatnot. And, and you could tell, um, you know, in a sense, he was he felt bad because I think that there was some there was some situational aspects that that garnered a little bit of an extra sniff at certain times. But the team was also going in a, in a very good direction, too. So it's it, it's pro sports. Right. You kind of get caught in the in the whirlwind of what's happening. So I felt something was going to happen. I think my you know, looking back, I, I think my my hope was that it would, would have been in the summertime where you kind of get a little bit of a, a regroup. I really love the, the team. I love the, the the entirety of the organization. I mean, I've been there since I was 18. Um, you know, so you get to know people. It does become home. I mean, it's very close to, to my hometown, right? So it's like there's a lot of different pieces in there that hurt when you're gone. And you know, it's, but I did feel something was coming. Like I felt if it was either going to be at the, at the, at the trade deadline or at the draft that I was probably going to get moved on at that point. Right. So, um, which I was excited about, right. I kind of, you know, the writing was a little bit on the wall and, and, you know, you, you're kind of seeing what's coming and, you know, and you want the best for those guys and, and, and 
you know, thankfully, I think from the Bruins perspective, you know, you, you're able to get a, a decent return from, you know, me and who, who was Marty Parsons at the time too, and bringing in, you know, Mark Recchi, which is, you know, a pretty, pretty solid pickup by, by the gang. Right. So um, I, I felt it was coming. I felt I needed a fresh air, a, a breath of fresh air, but it's interesting too, you know, in, in a, in a, you know, somebody told me this when I was, when I was playing, or it might've been even just recently, actually, after I was playing, you know, there's a very different dynamic that happens once you're with the team, you're drafted by that team, you're kind of part of that family. And then when you get traded, you are just another player, right? Like you are, and you, and you see that with the players nowadays, right? Like even like a guy in Boston, like a Charlie McAvoy, like there's a different kind of thing about him because he's their guy, right? Like he's a Boston guy drafted by them. It's like, it's like one of your kids kind of thing, right? Like he goes to another team. There's like this totally different mentality on it, right? So, and there was definitely a shift there. And, you know, Tampa had some, Tampa was in, was a, I basically went from, you know, shit show to coming out of that shit show in, in, in Boston to like complete shit show in, in Tampa, right? <laughs> like, so you had ownership problems, you had like everything you could possibly imagine going on down there. And, you know, I, thankfully I, I was able to get down and I had some success there early, which was good. And then same thing. I mean, it was, a you know, I'll never forget this. I was going into camp that the, the second year, you know, I'd, I'd put up some points at the end of that year, which is, listen, I mean, it's it's not too, too difficult to put up some points when you're passing the puck to, to Stammer and Vinny LeCavalier and Marty St. Louis on the power play, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's that, that, that's, that's fairly easy to get a couple assists on doing that. But I did have some success there. And then you walk into training camp the next year and, and talk about the agency conversations, right? I mean, you know, my agent called me at the time and he's like, hey, uh, he's like, I don't like to talk to guys during camp, but I will tell you, like, you know, at this point, depending on which way this goes, you know, there's there was an ownership embattlement going on. Like one guy's going to be the GM or the other guy's going to be the GM and one of them don't like you. So like you might be going down depending on how this happens. And he's like, so, you know, just trust the process and, you know, kind of work through it. And I'm like, holy shit. OK. And then you know, the one guy ended up uh, not winning that battle. The guy who liked me ended up going to Toronto and I got traded there and a couple months later. <laughs> so it's a bit of a shit show. Yeah. So who, who was the coach in Tampa? Was it Demers when you were there? I'm just trying to off the top of my head. Well, Barry Melrose was there when I first got traded. And then yeah, was, but he was there like a week, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was like three quarters of the season. And then who ended up taking over was, uh, was Mike Sullivan and Rick Hockett. Um, okay. Yeah. So those guys were there at the time. Um, obviously, you know, they were, they were great. It was interesting because it was talks first year. He got named the head coach. Um, and Mike was the, uh, was the assistant and it was a different dynamic, right? Because Mike had been, he was actually the head, he was actually the head coach in Boston when I was there. Um, so I had known Mike for a while and, you know, it had a decent rapport with him and, and same thing. Like he was in battle with the Bruins and what was going on in that and, and then gone. Um, but it was Tox kind of first trajectory into the head coaching thing. And, and, and Mike is amazing. Right. I mean, and, and obviously you can tell that those two had a really good relationship that kind of transferred itself to Pittsburgh later on. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. Tampa was a, Tampa was a crazy hot minute for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious, just getting to the mind of, of a professional hockey player, really humanizing you guys when, when you're getting traded and uh, no, not to call out any teams, but, you know, if, if I was a professional player, I don't think I'd be very excited to go to the Arizona Coyotes or the Winnipeg Jets, given the locker room situation or, you know, just the whole ownership thing. So when you're going to a Tampa, Toronto as a professional player, do you 
talk to your agent? Do you say like, you know, is this going to suck? Do you like have that mindset? Are you just ready for the fresh start and whatever it brings, brings? I mean, I'm curious of what the guys think. You know, you guys are professionals. I know you'll just go there, do your job, but there's got to be some sort of something you that goes, man, this is this going to be rough. Or was yeah, it I, I would say that that, that that's kind of, it, it falls in a couple different buckets, right? Like I think, you know, from, from a player's like myself's perspective, right? Like I'm trying to kind of embattle myself as a, a quote unquote <laughs> continuous day-to-day player in the league, right? So it, it, looking at kind of those ancillary factors wasn't really top of my docket, right? It was more situational. Who are the players that are there from a, what's their depth chart look like? Like who's coming up, who'd they draft in the last little bit? Um, you know, and, and obviously with being an up and down guy at times, you want to know what their minor league system is like. What's that team like? Because, you know, you, you look at the teams now that are having success and and, and it really is built on that minor league system. Right. It, it's there. It's a winning culture. You're learning how to win. They've got good older guys. Um, and that teaches the younger guys how to continuously kind of, you know, push the needle up. And then there's the other bucket where you're, you know, you're a completely profound, you know, day in and day out successful NHL player that are looking at that bucket that you just mentioned, right? It's ownership, like how stable is the ownership? What's the coaching situation like? You know, what are the, you know, what are those other players' contract statuses look like? Like how long are those guys going to be there? Because if you're choosing to go to a team to go play with a certain guy, and he's a free agent in two years and you got to wiggle around where your contract is and he could be gone. And then you're stuck there kind of standing in the middle with it. There's a lot of kind of those extra ancillary conversations that end up happening regarding a trade, which is why you're kind of seeing now, you know, a lot of these no move clauses, selective move clauses in some of these contracts that are happening. It's more so, you know, yes, I think everybody looks at, yeah, we, they, they want to play in good places and good facilities and in good cities. But it's also, you know, what are these what are these teams? Where are they where are they kind of mapping out to be in another couple of years? Because, you know, like it's like the McDavid story, right? You know, you you know, you want to go and play in Edmonton for a couple of years with McDavid because you're going to get paid and you pretty much go anywhere else. You're going to, you know, play after that. So you're kind of looking at a lot of those other ancillary situations to try to figure out kind of where you're going to be able to be lockstep and, you know, at the end of the day, depending on who you are, there's not a whole lot of options in 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 your trade status, right? If you're just if you're a player without any of those kind of tags under on your ticket, you know, you, you could go anywhere, right? And I think that you're gonna see a lot of that happening here with um with regards to the Arizona situation coming up and, and kind of how that shakes itself out, right? I mean, it is, it's you know, it's there's a lot that's gonna happen here in the next couple of months with regards to the referendum that's happening. And that's gonna put a lot of different guys in a lot of different scenarios here because it's just right, it's right before the deadline. So it's gonna be interesting to see how it maps out for sure. So we kind of got off of our our game. We got too tied up talking about uh the draft, even though it was a great story, right? Uh we're starting to run low on time and we've got our lightning round we want to yes. hit Matt with. But let's do this. So after the Toronto organization, um, we've seen it. We've talked to many, many players that have uh, played uh, NHL in the American League. You take yourself overseas. Now you're playing in the Swedish Elite League. You're playing in the German Dell, uh, the uh, their Elite League. You're also doing some KHL. And we've had on multiple players that, and heard multiple different stories about the KHL, which is arguably the second best league in the world. 
Mm -hmm. um, do you have any crazy stories? And the reason why we asked, we had somebody that just played here a <laughs> few years ago, but then we talked to old, uh, I shouldn't say old because he'll, he'll yeah, call me and yeah, yell at me, uh, Linger, you know, David Ling. Yeah, yeah, David Ling. He went over there when Americans first started going over there, early 2000s, and he was telling horror stories of, you know, hitmen being robbed, hiring bodyguards, being paid in cash. All sorts of weird stuff. Now you went way later, Matt. So I'd imagine maybe it was cleaned up, but Russia's pretty crazy. We could say no, that. no. I would say every one of those things that you just mentioned, I had some access to, which is oh, uh, <laughs> so you know, it is uh Russia is Russia. It is uh it's a fascinating place. Um I played in in arguably one of the worst places over there in a, in a place called Novo Kuznets. It's in the middle of Siberia. The team's not in the league anymore. Um, interestingly enough, though, Kirill Kaprizov and Ilya Sorokin were on that team. They were 17 years old at the time. So it was, a, you know, the draft age is a little bit different over there. So that you, you come in a little bit younger. So we were, you know, the worst team in the league at the time. So I had the first overall pick, which ended up being uh, Kapriz. And, um, you know, it, yes, it, it, the, the stories over there, I think going into it, you know, you look at it and you hear all of those things that you just mentioned and, and you're like, well, it can't be that bad. You know, it's like, it's just, this is humanity we're dealing with. Right. And then you get over there and you're like, holy shit, it's that fucking bad. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> so, so if, you, you know, if you're in Siberia, what, how long is it to get to a game by plane the next, the next place you got to go yeah so the, the closest plane flight i believe the, the closest city was novosibirsk and omsk so that was where yager was playing that year and i and you know you're talk, talking a four-hour plane ride is the closest that you are it's basically going from um i think it'd be like almost like la to like minnesota yeah. and that's like the closest that you are right it's like you know, it, the, the league is crazy. Yes. I mean, we had, you know, I was getting paid in cash. They've got a bonus system over there where you get a paper bag after each game, you know, and a little bit of, like, a little bit like of the dangerous trashers. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a thousand dollars per point per game. We didn't win a lot of games. So, you know, <laughs> you know, but and I'll never forget this. There's one, one game we were getting paid over there. And um, I come in and my, my doggy bag is a little bit light. I'm like, hey, did you guys get paid here? Like, you know, even they're like, yeah, yeah, we got the, like, the full amount or whatever it was at the time. Um, and so I'm, I'm walking in the hallway to, to like the team services guy. And I'm like, hey, you know, my doggy bag is a little bit light here. He goes, he stops in his tracks. He stops his tracks, looks me dead in the eye. He goes, yes, because you shit tonight. <laughs> and we won. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck. So, you know, between that and I had, uh, you know, at the, end of my, at the end of my time there, I was negotiating a buyout because I wanted to come back and be at home. So, I, so my situation going over there is I've, I've got three kids now. At the time I had, uh, before the season started, I had my son. And my daughter was going to be born while I was over there. My, my wife made a brilliant decision to say that she wasn't going to have the baby in Russia. So we'll give her <laughs> notes on that. So she stayed here during that. So I had to build into my contract that I was going to come home for, I could come home for the birth of my daughter. And, um, and I'm like rolling the dice on this and trying to get back at the right time. And granted, like the Russian, um, the Russian training camps are insane. Like they are like, 
they are like nothing I've ever seen before. It's like a month long gauntlet of like physical and mental abuse on your body and on your mind from like starting at 5 a.m. and not ending till like 11 o'clock at night. Like it's absolutely outrageous. Like four or five workouts a day, pool swimming, two practices, running. Like it's outrageous. So I'm like, I'm and I'm and I'm looking at these guys and they're doing okay. Like they're they're kind of surviving this. And I'm like, literally ready to die. I'm like, holy shit, like out of these guys looking okay. So I come around a corner in the, in the, in the locker room and there's a lineup of guys going into the training room. I'm like, what the fuck are they doing in there? Like, and so you hear all the stories about this Russian gas and like all this stuff. So that's what they were doing. They were getting the gas. They had a lineup of pills on the thing all in Russian. And I'm like, well, fuck it. They look like they're doing great. So I might as well start having a couple of these little uh, niblets here. So, um, so yeah, it was crazy. But I, at, at the end of my time, so kind of getting back to the beginning of why we started off on that on that uh, story is, you know, I knew I wanted to get back home, and the season it done it ends early over there than it does here. So I had an opportunity to come back to the American League um, to finish the season off and be a little closer to family, play a little more hockey, and and I knew I was kind of coming towards the end. At that point, I was going to kind of bounce around in Europe and, and maybe if I could kind of land in it as a veteran role in the American League and kind of be close to kids and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm negotiating this buyout uh, with with the Russian team at the time. And, and my agent at the time just just flaked off, not not or just a completely different like European guy flaked off, didn't couldn't even find them. So the team is trying to figure out what this number is supposed to be. I speak very, very little Russian. And so like, I'm trying to figure out where this number is and get another guy involved. And but I can't go to the rink at this time. So I'm locked in my apartment, basically. There's not a whole lot to do over there um, for like three days straight. And at two in the morning on a Thursday, I get an absolute rack on the door. And it's two officers outside with AKs standing at my door. And I'm like, holy shit. So I jump in and, you know, I'm hiding under the bed like a big, strong guy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and um, so I'm like, what the fuck? So the, the, the way that the, the Russian contracts were built out at the time is, is you had any involvement with the police, you had to pay back your salary and then they don't have to pay you anything. Right. So the general manager of the team had called the police on on me for whatever bullshit reason that it was to try to get me arrested so I they could just basically boot me out of the thing. So lo and behold, I went in the next day and the GM of the team was Valerie Zelopukin, who's a great guy. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, did you call the police on me? And he goes, hey, you not signed contract. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> well, just I got to get out. <laughs> thing over here now because i'm leaving like so i was out of plane pretty quick after that but i think we could probably have a podcast just about russian stories in general because yeah, i'm there just being on such a, a, a you know a, a, a lower end team with all this stuff going on was just it was insane it was insane. so on 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 a hockey perspective how was the league yeah the league was great i mean it was an it was an awesome time you know, I had, I had a difficult season. It was hurt and it, it, very difficult to get, you know, medical attention over there in certain places, right? It's a very different, uh, it's a very different culture and it's very different from a Moscow and a Ska in St. Petersburg to like where I was, right? I mean, you're talking basically like NHL caliber facilities and, you know, team members and all that kind of stuff to not. And I will just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> the league was, the league was great. I mean, at the time you had, 
you know, uh, Kovalchuk was over there. Obviously, Kaprizov was, um, you know, in a, in a really good position. Um, you know, so there was a lot of different uh, moving parts that were over there. But I, I love the league. I thought the hockey was amazing. You know, the guys over there really kind of band together as, as a North American group on every team, which is kind of cool. I, I, I really enjoyed that. And it was an amazing experience. I would do it again um, in a heartbeat just with, the, you know, the amount of uh, amount of things you learn pretty quickly about yourself and about the game. It was, it was very, very cool. So having all those crazy experiences, just something fun to, to ask you. When you start to see, you know, of course, you got the war going on with Russia and everything. And now when, you know, Kirill Kaprizov and those players that you mentioned going back home and having served their military time yet and everything else and them trying to trap them there. When you were kind of reading or hearing about that, were you kind of like, yeah, that was almost me when I was probably on, you know, on the way to the freaking airport going there. Like he's going to end up in the prison in a penal colony. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, you know, you look at the nature of the world right now and I'm, you know, and I got a couple guys I know that are still playing over there and I, and I'm shocked. And, and, you know, interestingly enough, when I played over there, this was the first time this this uh, you know situation with Ukraine was bubbling up. It was 2014, so they shot a plane out of the air. I don't know if you remember that. Um, they shot a plane out of the air over the Ukraine uh, the day that I was leaving to go to Russia. And so you know, sitting at the breakfast table, seeing that gives you a little bit of some some you know second thoughts on what you're doing at that point. But it I mean it is it's it's a crazy it's a crazy. Um, it's a crazy country, but they, they, the cool thing is, is they, they love their hockey. Um, they create some amazing players. I thought that one of the most fascinating things that I saw over there is what they do with like the youth programs and whatnot, and what these kids are kind of having access to, like they build athletes arguably better than, than most very young. Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like we had kids, they, it's a mandate for kids over there to be at all athletes, no matter what sport you're in, to be in gymnastics till age 10, to learn how to like use your body and stuff. So like some very, like, very like esoteric kind of uh, thought processes on, on, on sport as a whole. And, you know, how they choose guys to go in. There's this whole sporting process that the professional guys have to go through too. Is like, you know, you got to walk on this line, they move your limbs and they're like, you are a basketball player. Like that's wow. still, they, they were doing that back in communist Russia and they're still doing it, you know, in a sense now today, which is, which is very, very interesting. We're going to finish with lightning round. We're going to put you on the spot, a name, a place. Um, if you've got a story, the time is yours. Uh, but we're going to hit you with these questions. You want to start Andrew? What was the craziest fan base you got to play for pro pro career, not an OHO? Just pro career. Uh, craziest fan base. I, I would have to say Boston. Uh, um, yeah. Was Toronto worse? Was Toronto worse? Toronto's a different animal, right? I think it's like, you know, the, the, the fan base is amazing, right? And I think the fan base is great. I think you'd arguably put those two kind of up next to each other. But the arena setup in, in Toronto is much different than it is in Boston, right? It's a very, or at least at the time it was, it was very, very corporate based, right? And in, in your kind of your lower bowl. So it was a different feel than, you know, a TD Garden when that thing is just blasting, right? I mean, it's a very raucous, raucous crowd over there. Um, you know, and then I would also probably put in some of these uh, European clubs over there, like if some of these places in Switzerland and, um, in Germany, like the, the, the fan base in Mannheim, in Mannheim, Germany, I mean, they could give anybody a good push there. I mean, that's one of the coolest 
entry, you know, situations to an ice rink I've ever been a part of. It's if you guys have a chance to look that up, check it out. It's like unbelievable. The entire back wall is filled with flags, red, white, and blue flags, and they open up the gate and they're just going ape shit on the other side. It's loud. It's a big building too. It's not like a small, it's like a 15,000 seat building. Like it's, oh, wow. it's an NHL size venue. So, you know, I would put those kind of two on polar opposite leagues obviously but like as far as like craziness and kind of the you know the hype boston you know you, you know that in the building outside of the building insane you know toronto obviously the focus and then Mannheim, you know with just the you know bad shit crazy like soccer-esque fans <laughs> awesome. which arena had the worst locker rooms Oh my gosh! The word well, probably the arena that I played in Russia. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a very getting place. dressed in the hallway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the NHL, um, let me think. Ah, da, 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 da. That's a good question. Um, a lot of them were getting overhauled at the time, which was nice. Well, it was probably Joe Lewis at the, because we played in old Joe Lewis. It was right. old Joe that's, Lewis. Pretty. That's was cool. Pretty, was pretty rough yeah yeah um i know it's kind of generic but our boston fans will be mad if we don't ask this favorite boston memory during the time or place to eat anything they want to hear something oh i i mean i love the italian the the italian section over there Tresca, who used to go to because uh ray used ray bork you know owned that place I, I absolutely love my time in Boston, though. I mean, I, I I don't think I could pick one. I mean, from the second I got there, training camp, just being outside of the city, you know, we used to do this clam bake every year before the season started as a team um, on the North Shore. And that, like, just being with the guys. And I think this is, you know, when you're done playing, like, those are the things that you, you that are your best memories, right? Like, hanging with the guys and stuff like that, the golf tournaments before, kind of being in the room, just sitting there before a game, getting ready to go out. Like, you know, for me, Boston had a special, special place because that was, you know, I mean, Boston's two hours from my house, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're kind of the, you know, they were the NHL team that I, that I watched them and the Rangers, because that's all I had on television at the time. Right. So um, there's a special kind of piece of, of Boston for me, you know, both as a city and as a team and, and with the group that we had, right. I mean, it was all young guys kind of coming up at the same time. So we had a very special crew there between Boston and Providence that, you know, the NHL guys and the American League guys kind of were coming up at the same, but we were also like, you know, our girlfriends turned wives now are still best friends. And, you know, you see them go through, you have kids and all that kind of stuff. So there's a, there's a bit of a special place for, for Boston. I don't know. The clam bake was pretty awesome though, before the season started, a little lobster boil. <laughs> Who is the hardest uh, forward to defend against? Who is someone that was so strong, you just had trouble moving them out of front of them? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, like sneaky hard guys, like like a Marion Hosa. I, I I think yeah. he's more of like these un, one of these underrated guys who like. I remember when I first my first year when I played against him, and he was never a guy that like I you know you kind of stuck out. Like, but you get on the get on the ice and you're just like, he is a big big man and yeah. can fly, and he was so skilled. Obviously, Yager too. Um, you know. Yeah. 
you know, underestimatingly like, and one of the biggest freaks like off the ice too. Like, I mean, the stories about him kind of going for 3 a.m. runs after a game and, you know, letting the ice out in the middle of the night and the weight vests on and all that stuff. Like, you know, like guys like that are like, and I think, you know, when you watch these guys on TV or you go to the games or whatnot, like underestimatingly large, strong dudes, right? And and Hosa and Yager are probably two of those guys. Vinny LeCavalier was like that too, right? Like getting him in the corners and how he used his body and rolling off. But I can't imagine being being matched up against McDavid now. Like the, the speed oh. that he generates and kind of through the neutral zone. I was watching a couple games the other night and just like picking the puck up at the top of the circle and you're a D-man trying to gap up on him at the blue line. You're just like, oh, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> no way. Yeah. Who was the rat in your career? Oh, yeah. Who's, who was somebody who just got under your skin, you wanted to beat up, couldn't for whatever reason? Who was the rat? Oh, there was a lot of those. Hey, I had the best rat in my corner, which was Marshy. So that was great. And yeah. we had him on our side. We always used to laugh like, oh, my God, here he goes again. Like That's when he was on the fourth line, too, so with did, Thornton and Campbell, right? You know, I mean, that was, yeah, that was I mean, you're opening up a whole other can of worms. But, uh, you know, and, and I'll go down there for a second. Does, did anybody tell him, like, what, what, what are you doing? Or did they just like, it's he's going to do what he's going to do? Well, of course we told him that and add that question. <laughs> <laughs> you have to understand too, like, you know, this is a guy, he's, he's a special, special dude, man. Like in the minors where, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're all like, we're young, right? You're young and dumb and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to play. And we show up to the rink one day and Marshy's got a brand new Escalade. We're like, where the fuck did you buy that? Like, and he's like, oh, I got it down the street from like, you know, whoever. Like, he was like, he was like, basically, I think he might have bought like there was a for sale sign on this thing in somebody's yard. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> and we get, he's like, why don't we go? We're going to go to lunch. I'm going to take the guys to lunch. So about three, four of us go in and the car smelt like cigarettes. Like, I, I like, and I'm like, he goes, I go, did you like smoking darts in here before? And he's like, no, this is what I was, what is on? I picked it up. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Man? <laughs> I'll never forget that white Escalade just smelt like darts. I'm like, why did you buy this thing, dude? Like, um, but yeah, we always did. Marshy was just so, he was, I, it's interesting. Like, he was a very good player, right? In, in, in the American league, he was very successful in junior, but I don't think any one of us to a man in that room would have predicted what he has become to this day. It has been one of the most amazing trajectories from a, from a career standpoint. And it goes to show like he had all of these intangibles prior to on the, on the right side of the puck and, you know, battling and grinding it out and like all that kind of thing. Very, very smart hockey player. But then he added these elements in over the course of it and training with Sid, I don't think hurts um, that it's just so fun to watch him play now. And I, and I, and I think back to those, uh, to those early days when we were younger and I'm like, dude, like this guy, he, he nailed it. Like he nailed exactly what it takes to become a progressively better player in the NHL and be a massive part of the team. And I think, you know, hitting it at the crossroads of where the game has become too has been really, really fun to watch. Was it was it hard to talk to him when he was doing stupid stuff on the ice? You're like, dude, you can't be doing that. He's just like, leave me alone. I'm, I, I do what I do. Yeah, he seems like uh, he, at that he, point he, you're he, just he, shaking your head at him because you know he's just gonna do shit. Like you're just like, you know, he's poking guys, and he had some tough guys. Like we had, you know, in the minors, you had a Steve McIntyre was arguably one of the toughest guys to ever play, and then up in Boston you have Thority, right? So like when he's running around and jabbing guys and doing shit, like he knows somebody's there to help him out, you know. So <laughs> it's like 
we're sitting on a bench or on the ice. You're like, holy fuck. All right, Mac, go ahead, go help him out. You know, like, and he loved it. Right. And guys like Mac and Thority, they love that shit. Right. Which is good. So, um, I know that this is it's the last question. I know it's pretty broad, but just the first thing that pops in your mind when I say favorite memory from your pro hockey career from any point. What's your favorite? Yeah, I, I think it goes back to earlier. It's just just the guys, right? I mean, I think sitting on the plane and, and playing cards and sitting <laughs> on the back of the bus and the long road trips when you're exhausted and, and kind of banding together. And you know, you, you you remember the battles, right? I mean, I think you remember all of the, you know, the you know, the, the going in game sevens prior to the game, you know, after the fact, you know, going and licking your wounds and having beers with the guys after and kind of reliving it. And, you know, it, and it's funny. I mean, what I'm doing now, you know, and I'm involved in the game, but on the business side and, um, you know, I've always said it and we, kind of the way we started off the program, you know, talking about being a suitcase, right? It's like, you know, you don't see, you, you can't map out how the game's going to go. You can't map out how your career is going to go. You can always you only just kind of put your, put your best foot into it. But at the end of the day, when you're done, you're going to find out how good of a teammate you were while you were there. And that's, what's so great about our game, right? It's so, it's so team focused. It's so kind of band of brotherhood focused that you're going to learn real quickly when you, when you step away, you know, how many phone calls you're getting and if your phone's going to ring or it's going to stop ringing. And I, you know, that's the stuff that I look back on. And luckily my phone's still ringing and guys still pick up my phone calls, which is great. And, you know, seeing and being at the games and being at the buildings and being around the guys now, it's pretty awesome to be able to bring my kids back and kind of relive some of those moments and all that kind of stuff. But you never forget, you never forget the battles. You never forget the stories. You never forget all that shit. And I think it always lives with us. I mean, I was just last night at a an alumni event um, here with, with the St. Louis Blues. I live in St. Louis now. And, it, and it's probably the, you know, and I never played for the Blues, but you talk about an alumni community kind of brought me in like I was one of theirs. Um, and, you know, we skate three days a week. We've got these Christmas get togethers. Our families are all close. And, you know, when you look at it from a, from a broad perspective, you know, my best friends are in this game and they will always be um, till the end of time. So it's uh, there's nothing like it. Cool, man. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, we'll say goodbye off air. Hang on a quick sec, but officially, Matt, we can't thank you enough. It's been worth the wait for us. We are appreciative of your time you gave us today. Thank you, man. It's now my pleasure. Thanks. Okay. Great guy. Dude, pretty funny too. So the background is uh, we've been in contact with him. Like, I don't even know how long it's been so okay, long. Okay. We'll say this. It was supposed to be episode 92. Right. We're that was when we were originally supposed to have And we're six. episode 110 today, I believe. But yeah, it's one of those things like hockey players uh, gracious enough to respond to us, however we contact them. Right. And then sometimes you, you get a date set and, you know, they're not getting paid to come on our podcast. We don't get paid to do our podcast. Yeah, that is nice. So, they're being gracious with their time. And sometimes they're like, hey, boys, I got to I can't do it tomorrow or next week or whatever. And then it gets to those. I'll get in touch with you. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, we'll send in a little bit of follow-up, but uh, other times it's like you do the follow-up and you just kind of let it go. Uh, but Matt's always been, you know, I didn't forget about you guys. I'm hanging. So I'm so glad he hung with us and uh, it was really worth it. I, we probably spent too much time on the draft stuff, Andrew, but um, I think our listeners uh, knowing our listener base, they'll appreciate that since most of them are, Former hockey fans, players, right? Well, yeah, yeah and former too, former so. hockey players too to hear their their stories. But yeah. great guy, well spoken, uh, you know, good looking guy too. Yeah, good stories too, man. Good He's stories, pretty funny guys. So. Yeah, 
yeah, he lightened up. He started with a little bit of this, and by the end of it, it was uh, yeah, he loosened up quite a bit. So great and, guy. And all I have to say is, and I can say this because I'm never going to go visit Russia. That place is nuts to go play over there. I don't think I'd ever play over there. Would you? I almost went there on a on a trip. Why? Um, when I was in high school, remember I was at uh, listeners know I'm a musician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was in Massachusetts at the New England Conservatory uh, while I was in high school with the Massachusetts Youth Wind Ensemble. Um, and they were going to do a trip. They do a trip every year, and they were supposed to go to, I think, like St. Petersburg, mm. and Chernobyl happened. Oh, shoot. Okay, really? It was like 87 or whatever it was. So, uh, yeah, we didn't go. <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't. Or and, you, you know, didn't you know your grandparents, they'd be like, ah, you're not going, even yeah. if they were. But right. uh, that was my one chance, you know, to go to Russia there. So I just find it funny that there's a place in the world that's still – just crazy like that mafia ran just crazy people crazy arctic cold people go outside of you know this country and you'll you know yeah not to get sidetracked i could tell all about my central america story judging music down there yeah but uh anyway we will wrap it up andrew yes good episode matt lash off again thank you for coming on we got more guests coming up we're going to probably have our we got to have cappy back on we love cappy back on because the are lighting it up And I got to apologize to Nick Foligno again. We'll do that that next episode. (laughs) So thank you for everybody hanging in there with us today. Thank you much.